Today's episode of the Film Stage Show is brought to you by Mubi, a curated streaming service showcasing exceptional films from around the globe. For a free 30-day trial, go to mubi.com slash filmstage. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to a brand new episode of the Film Stage Show, the movie review podcast for thefilmstage.com. As always, I am your mank, Brian J. Rowan. With me today, we have Mankel Snydell. Uh, I, I am here and ready to talk about mank. Mank. <laughs> mank. We also have Bill Graham. Thank you very much. <laughs> Pleasure to mank you. And our special oh, guest today <laughs> to talk about mank, Santa Swanson. Thank you very much for having me. It's an honor. Oh, oh. It's, it's an honor to mank you. Um, pleasure to have you, mank. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> pleasure to mank your acquaintance. Okay. So, yeah. Oh, okay. We're, here to, we're, we're here to talk about mank, uh, the newest film. Drink. From, oh, God. I need to immediately tell everyone listening because I know that our audience is nothing but reprobates and hooligans. Do not do a drinking game this episode <laughs> for every time we say mank. You'll be you very manked. Shit manked just <laughs> up front immediately. Um, so, yeah, we're here to talk about mank. Uh, from, Shouldn't it be mank faced? Uh, it could be anything. You know, mank <laughs> is what you need it to be. Uh, mank is all things <laughs> to all people. The newest film from David Fincher. The real Fincher. mank was the friend we made, that we made along the way. <laughs> See, the fun thing about Mank is, like, it started with you trying to just, like, oh, how does this work in a word? And then at a certain point, it's just like, no, just put Mank wherever you it's want. everywhere. It's everywhere. Yeah, it's just, you know. It's you, can, you can turn it into word. whatever you like. We live in a world of Mank Believe. <laughs> that is the episode, ladies and gentlemen. The, the high point, it is over. It will just repeat for this for the next May, hour Thank you for coming. Okay. All right. Good. This is great. I am. We. This is. This is already the best episode we've ever done. Um, Anna, would you like to introduce yourself to the listeners at home? Um. Yes, I am a writer slash critic. I suppose. Uh, can often be found at Film School Rejects, usually discussing the films of David Fincher. So happy to be here. So perfect. Perfect uh, fit. Anna, what possessed you? to rank the the films of david fincher this uh, past week. i believe it's yeah, called so a news peg michael <laughs> <laughs> yeah so the decision to mank the films um <laughs> came <laughs> came from us just kind of realizing that the site hadn't done it um and it was kind of one of those things where it's just like if this is going to happen, I'm going to be a part of it. Um, so a uh, good friend and I, Luke Hicks, we decided to do it together, which is great because if anyone yells at us, we can blame what they're mad about on the other person. So if someone's oh. mad that um, <laughs> Panic Room came last, that's Luke's fault. Ooh, and if I someone gets that. mad at him that Benjamin Button was fourth or fifth, that's my fault. So there you go. <laughs> All right, that, that's Mutually a good way to do it. destruction exactly. and praise. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, you just got to like hold hands and walk into the fire together. Um, <laughs> so anyway, uh, before we get into our um, our 
our, our mank cast uh let's get rid of the front matter uh you can find us on twitter at film stage show facebook the film stage show email us podcast filmstage.com and of course uh go to uh patreon.com slash the film stage show to become a patron of this year podcast uh for as little as one dollar an episode you get access to our slack channel which briefly became a mank channel and <laughs> I apologize to everyone who was already on that, who like maybe was working that day and uh, came home to 200 messages of us just naming movies that Mank could be in. And just eventually saying Mank instead of actual movie titles. Yeah, it was like Apollo Mank Teen, like Mank <laughs> yeah. You for Smoking, The Mankchurian <laughs> Candidate. <laughs> anyway, it was it was terrible and wonderful. And it was the highlight of my week. Um, no, it wasn't. That's that. frightening for other yeah, No, I, I actually... No, that's not true. Um, so let's talk about <laughs> movie, <laughs> The online streaming platform where every day they premiere a new film. It can be a Thomas Classic, a cult favorite, or a declaimed masterpiece. Uh, movies from all over the globe. It's guaranteed to be a film that you are going to love or have been dying to see. They have some great stuff coming to the platform. And uh, I wanted to highlight a triple bill that they have coming called Anhui Women Make the World. Winner of the Lifetime Achievement Award at this year's Venice Film Festival, Hong Kong auteur Anhui is justly celebrated for her powerful humanist stories centered on women's experiences. Never moralistic, yet always profoundly political, these cinema casts an almost documentary eye on the details and textures of ordinary lives. Her vital female protagonists, often marginal or displaced figures, negotiate their identity in both the domestic and public spheres. Her cinema shows women in the world, shaping it with their actions and their stories. Um, the film among these that I am most excited to see is called Our Time Will Come, inspired by real-life events. Is it because there's a gun? Is it because there's a gun in the picture, Frank? I'm not looking at the picture, Michael, um, but I'm oh, sure that that oh, probably okay. would have been it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm now glad that I have double confirmation. Um, all I need to like a movie is for a gun to be featured anywhere in the promotion of it. Hollywood has good news for you. That's why do you think I love John Wick so much? That like third poster where it's just like 40 guns pointed at him. And I was like, oh, yeah, this movie's going to be the That's best. 40 reasons to see the film right there. Yeah. And then Keanu Reeves makes 41. Yeah. Our Time Will Come. Inspired by real-life events, this World War II drama from Anhui is an urgent tale of bravery and camaraderie. Rejecting the garish depictions of wartime stories, this sweeping drama observes the altruism of underground resistance through the eyes of a young woman and her growing political struggle. So again, if you would like a free 30-day trial to MUBI, all you gotta do is go to mubi.com slash filmstage. Again, that is mubi.com slash filmstage. And that's it. That's all the front matter we had to get through. Um, briefly, as we are so fond of doing, we can do a COVID corner update. Anna, how has your life been since we all entered the hellscape that is uh, the COVID pandemic? Ooh, uh, not good. Um, okay. <laughs> um, I mean, it, it, has anyone ever like responded to this by being like, well, actually, things are going pretty great for so, me. So like I have and I always feel bad about it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you, you say that you say that, but you're also a stress ball as well. Right? Yes. Why do you think I work in a distillery? Yes. <laughs> um, I mean, I'll say like, look, the thing that I has kind of been my go to response. to This is like 
it could be much worse for me. Um, so that's the like silver lining. Um, and you know, I, I got a new Cary Grant comedies collection just out of the Criterion channel. It's been keeping me busy. Um, I got movies going on. So that's kind of been my life. All right. Okay. That's a good life. <laughs> Can always be worse. It's a wonderful life. Yes. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Uh, at least I didn't make a mank pun. <laughs> Michael Snydell, uh, Bill Graham, anything new going on with you guys? Uh, All right, great. You missed your chance. Um <laughs> <laughs> We're Are all just making gonna... the best of it. Yeah, yeah. pretty much. Yeah. Uh, making making the best of it. Yeah. Um, Michael Snydell, <laughs> before we began rolling, you asked how aquariums are. Um, from everything that I heard yes. secondhand, they are sparsely populated. Everyone is wearing masks, and uh, the fish appear unaffected by the situation right outside their walls. <laughs> yes, are the fish wearing masks? The you fish are not everyone's... wearing masks. Well, you know what, then, Brian? Everyone's not safe, then. The yeah, dolphins, you're a liar. however, have masks over their blowholes. <laughs> so. Oh, now I'm sad. <laughs> Truly, nature is returning. Oh, boy. And that's the first time you've thought about that meme since April. <laughs> so we're here today not to talk of aquariums. We are here today to talk about a man. Or shall I say, a mank? Mm. <laughs> With a Z. So much. Uh, inexplicably a Z. Yes. So, uh, Mank is a film about uh, Herman Mankiewicz, who is trying to write the screenplay for Citizen Kane um, while flashing back now and then to uh, events from his life, which uh, have some, perhaps, small bearing upon the screenplay that he is writing. This movie is directed by David Fincher. It's written by his father, Jack Fincher. Uh, it stars Gary Oldman, Amanda Seyfried, and Lily Collins, amongst many other fine actors. Wow, I did not realize that that was still playing music. <laughs> and here is the trailer. Man, it's Orson Welles. Of course it is. I think it's time we talk. What is it the writer says? Tell the story you know. Hello, everyone. Make yourself to home, Mr. Mankowitz, or shall I call you Herman? Please, call me Mank. 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 This is Herman Mankowitz, but where to call him Mank? Mankowitz. Herman Mankowitz, New York playwright and drama critic. All right, so that's the trailer for Mank. As you can see. What, what, what's it called? It's Mank. The oh. titular line is spoken so many times. Mank. Mank. Mark. Let's all just oh say Mank six times in different voices, <laughs> shall we? Six times? Oh, God. <laughs> bring right. the razzle-dazzle. Yes, got to bring that. All right. Anyway, now that we have uh, cycled through and perhaps purged ourselves of the desire to say Mank as much as we can, we can talk about this film. We begin, as always, uh, with our spoiler-free section before moving into spoilers, and we begin with our guest, Anna. What did you think of Mank? I quite liked it. Um, yeah, no, I really enjoyed it. I, it's, it's, it's something where 
there's like a part of me that does really enjoy this film. I liked the structure of it. I definitely was thoroughly entertained. It's a film that I watched without looking at my phone, not even once, which is an accomplishment, I feel, um, in 2020 when my brain is bad. Um, and I really enjoyed it. And I, I also think there's like a small part of me that's kind of aware that like, with so few things to look forward to this year with like so many movies kind of taken away that like just having something exciting I'm like clinging to. Um, but yeah, I would say for the most part, I really enjoyed Mank. All right. Bill Graham. So I didn't know what to expect from this movie. Um, it is Fincher doing something very, very different. Um, and even like Atticus Ross and Trent Reznor <laughs> doing just like the most normal, like period centric music you could imagine. Um, and I kind of dug the, uh, the really the language more than anything, which, you know, makes sense because it is about a writer. Um, and I really enjoyed Gary Oldman's performance. Um, I just, I'll, I'll say this and probably back away from this podcast forever. <laughs> um, I'm not a big Citizen Kane fan. And so, uh, I don't know. I, I mean, I haven't seen it in quite a while. Um, but I feel like Citizen Kane is one of those films that is very much appreciated more for what it does to push the genre of filmmaking uh, forward than the film itself. Um, so, yeah, I'll say that and uh, that'll be in. All right. Mangle Snydell. Yeah, I, I, I really... I really, really struggled through this one. Uh, to to be honest, I'm I'm a big Fincher fan. Um, really, there's nothing I've really disliked from anything I, I've seen from him un, until this. But I, I I think it's I don't know. I I think there's a lot of different things that don't work for me. I, I think Oldman's actually really pretty bad in this. I, I think that he feels miscast uh not only in the fact that he's supposed to be like 45 <laughs> but i that's that's been talked about a, a lot already I, I i think oldman though is just he's he's too sleepy he's he's too enamored with the own sound uh, with the uh with the sound of his own voice and i feel like this movie too i feel like the kind of rolodex of like classic film uh phrasing and expressions they have it just it so much of it felt like it was trying to do a quota of of like classic films and you know like was just like what is the quintessential pure version of like in the lonely of the night out of the past you know that combination of screwball uh a noir like the most classic excuse me, the most classic dialogue. Um, and all of it just felt like it was going in circles for me. And it was just, uh, was just kind of annoying. I, and, and I think it's weird because, you know, as, as a lot of people have pointed out and Anna uh, did a great job uh, writing about, it's like, this is very much a Fincher film. Like there's so many of his pet themes that his, 
the dialogue has so many of the qualities of um, his, but I just, I felt like without getting into spoilers, so much of this movie is raging against something that's just incredibly uninteresting. Like it's, I, 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 I feel like it's a big deal that this movie that nods to such a fascinating, rich history almost stifled my entire curiosity about it by sheer virtue of how everyone talks and operates in this. Like, it's just so it's just so obsessed with like people playing games of chance and, you know, like the the visual obsession with like heads uh, heads and tails and poker and making bets on huge elections just all of it is is not only self-satisfied but just feels like a combination of like fan fiction and like a uh, like grotesqueries and it, it just i i found it uh just to be a really really hard watch which like I feel like one of the the greatest compliments you can give Fincher is, you know, things like Gone Girl, which I think is just around two hours for what it's worth, and Zodiac, which is much longer. Both of those movies are they go they go by in a, in a snap. And this movie, it took me almost five sittings, which uh, is a lot. So yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of stuff going on here. But I was just surprised how much I just didn't enjoy this moment to moment. So I'm sorry. I'm going to be the, the downer this week, potentially. No, you're not, because I'm right there with you. Um, <laughs> uh, in my oh, eyes, <laughs> in my eyes, mank don't make rank. Um, I just this I like. I, 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 I don't even know how to like truly quantify how little I cared about the story being told in this movie. And it never really rose up to grab me. And at the end of it, I was, I was curious as to what it was, what it was doing and why. And I didn't gain any greater appreciation for Citizen Kane. I didn't, I didn't really like change the way I look at the movie. Citizen Kane. I I think that Oldman is horribly miscast in this movie. Um, th- there's one. Wait, let me say, let me say one thing. I like. I think Amanda Seyfried is she enjoyable is in this movie. Completely serviceable in her role. Um, <laughs> <laughs> as one of the many many people who don't get uh, three dimensions to their character. Um, I am. Um, I just don't. I don't. I'm really confused by this movie and its and its and its form and its setup. And why it's doing the things it's doing, and why we're following this man, and I just, I just like at the end of it, I was kind of like, like that's it, like the, why did you peg this story on this arc? Like why didn't you choose something else to do it? Like why is this a particularly important story? Like, and if I'm asking that after you've told me. After I've seen your movie, I still don't understand the importance of a story. I feel like that's a big misfire. Um, but as much as I think that Oldman is miscast, I think that Fincher is is misproduced into the role of director. Um, aesthetically, I hated this movie. 
I I never want to see a digital cigarette burn ever again. Um, I understand like the the desire to make the movie feel maybe of a period, but then like the aspect ratio confuses me. The kind of crispness of the digital photography without even bothering to put like some sort of weird filter over it confuses me. And and in the end, I just I just didn't really like this movie. Um, so. So that's my my upfront thoughts, and I'm sure we will get into it more. <laughs> so I I am since since Anna, you seem to be the most positive amongst all of us. What did you what did, like? Do you think that the movie really gains from this kind of this the setup that it has with the the kind of prime timeline and then the flashbacks? I think that like the structure with the kind of flashbacks and the parallels. I think that because this is a very often information heavy film, we meet a lot of characters that, uh, you know, even with what I would consider to be an above average knowledge of like this time period in Hollywood, I definitely was still like, I could have used like an annotated bibliography of exactly who everyone is. Like, cause you're kind of jumping <laughs> between people. It definitely is like a bit to follow. Um, and I think that if it was, totally linear without kind of the context of the logic of flashbacks to point to like this is why we're going back to this point this is who we're meeting you know um i think that worked for me and i i mean i will say like this is by no means my favorite fincher it's it this is not you know my favorite movie of the year type deal um i i'm not like super hot on it like there are movies that i love a lot more but um i i would say like I think for me, the movie just kind of did what I hoped it would. I was entertained by it. I, you know, I thought the performances were pretty good. Um, I also, I really enjoyed Amanda Seyfried in this. Um, And I don't know. I think I'm, it's interesting to me to see how people's feelings about Citizen Kane affect their feelings about this film or like their feelings about Wells. Um, and I think I'm kind of like, I'm I'm positive on Citizen Kane. I think it's a great movie. I, it's not for me the greatest movie of all time, but like I totally respect what it does. Um, so I can kind of, I can see, I guess like why this movie isn't firing on all cylinders for a lot of people. Um, and like, it's tough because I I there's totally a part of me that's like, you know, when you think about the great things about Citizen Kane, you don't think about the script. So it's kind of funny to make a movie about arguably the least interesting aspect of Citizen Kane. But there's also the part of me that kind of loves that just because of its kind of ridiculous choice. Like it's to me, the worst thing a movie can be is not bad, but boring. And I wasn't bored by this. Like I wasn't bored mm-hmm. by this experience. That's interesting. I mean, like I, I definitely agree with you. Like a, a bad movie that's entertaining is still rock solid to me. Um, yeah. Shoot 'em up for instance sure. is not a boring movie. And I will watch yeah. the hell out of that. Um, and I also, like, I will totally cop. <laughs> <laughs> I also just like, I will totally cop to the fact that, you know, I am, a big Fincher fan I'm definitely willing to extend like a degree of you know forgiveness or consideration for anything that um 
maybe with another director, I'd kind of be like, eh, you know, like, I don't know if that works for me. But like here, I'm kind of like, it's, I guess, how do I want to put this? I think that because I like Fincher so much, it is entertaining to watch the mechanics of his choices play out on screen, even if the film isn't, you know, the best. Um, so I'm going to like enjoy the experience no matter what. And I do like, you know, the like digital cigarette burns. Like, it's just funny to me how like Fincher, he's not someone who like fetishizes film in any way. And so for him to toss in like some things that are so working in that time period or, you know, meant to resemble or work with like film and film grain and stuff like that. Um, and then just other stuff where it's like, he's not going to do that. I find that very amusing. I also, I, I for whatever reason, it just made me think of like, oh, right, this is the man who like introduced the masses to the concept of cigarette burns. Yes. <laughs> and now he's like, well, I guess I got to put him in again. So uh, Fincher uh, fetishizes cigarette burns. Fight Makes Club? Sense. Yeah. Is that what you're referring to? That, okay. No, I was yeah. referring to Benjamin Button. What are you? <laughs> <laughs> I just want to make sure I wasn't being <laughs> all. You don't remember uh, What's-Her-Face, Kristen Stewart talking about cigarette burns and Panic Room? All right. All right, Brad. We, we, well, we it's, get also, your... <laughs> it's also fun to me in Meg. I don't know if they do it every time, but there's a couple moments where when they put in the digitally placed cigarette burn, one of the characters will say a line about like, that's your cue or there's a cut like they're, they'll kind of have little um, jokes at it, which is just kind of fun. That is interesting. Uh, I, I mean, I'm not going to watch this movie again. If anyone else is going to watch this movie again. Please time the amount of time between cigarette burns, because I'm curious if, in addition to putting those little in-jokes there, he also did it timed, like, evenly to the, the like, a, a film reel. Mm, that I can't tell you. I would have to watch it again. Yes. That's just the Charlie Day bulletin board meme. <laughs> you're asking someone <laughs> to engage. Someone out there loves Mank and would be willing to do that you know just like all you got to do is like stopwatch on your phone it's not like i'm not asking you to read into it some sort of apocalyptic prophecy just let me know how long it is between burns that's also there though um, oh yeah absolutely I, well it, it, and i'm i'm, I'm kind of curious because i i have to say i almost started discourse this weekend so i i really fucked up and and i was asking uh wait what, what I was, is I was that curious I, on, on Twitter, I was asking people what was the last time they they could think of something where – so about a month ago, it, it seems like early reviews for Mate came in, and they were they were pretty good. And it, it's weird because this weekend, you know, everybody else started to see it as it was on Netflix. And I think I'm fixating on this because you, you mentioned how you give a little bit of leeway to Fincher. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people – are the opposite. And I think this is me is the sense that like, Oh, above anything, I expected to be entertained. And I was amazed at how tedious I, I, I found this. Like, I, I love the way that Zodiac goes in circles. I, mm -hmm. I find such like great pleasure in, in the way, you know, of, of Fincher knowing exactly what he's doing uh, through all of that. And this I, I think what is all the more frustrating to me that um, I don't want to give him that space. I don't want to give him that leeway. Like this is such a bummer to me that like 
this is only mildly more entertaining than something like Darkest Hour <laughs> to me. Like it's, it, but it's it's weird though because you are right. It's not a standard prestige movie. Like other than Oldman, this is this is kind of a. I mean, it, as many people have said, it this movie hates Hollywood. It's a poison mm-hmm. pen letter. It's not the type of movie that the even though I could totally see the Academy Awards <laughs> falling over themselves to give this a lot of awards, but this movie like has such just uh, perpetual contempt for everyone involved. Uh, other than Mank, oddly, although we can discuss that. So like, I, I guess that's what is so strange to me that like the form of this is so strange. It's subject matter is so strange but I can't help wondering, like, why did they take such an odd road through? Like, I, I am not someone who is, you know, who I, I was vaguely aware of the authorship, you know, scuttlebutt <laughs> involving this and, and various things along those lines. And, like, that actual story is crazy and really interesting. <laughs> like, it seems weird to create something that puts more emphasis on Minkowitz and and makes him a martyr. It's just like, it's, this thing is so confusing to me because I I can see how Netflix was like, yeah, absolutely. That's going to be a slam dunk. Right. Like we already put out like the other Wells movie that we found. Like, (laughs) why wouldn't we make this movie with Fincher about another Wells movie? And and it's only like slightly less obtuse than the other Wilds movie <laughs> oh in terms of its actual purpose. I I adore the other side of the wind for what it's worth. Um, Weird movie. So yeah, I I mention I mention all of that to be like, wh- what do you make of the way the discourse kind of chewed this up uh, this weekend? Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting because I think you know I totally see what you're saying where it kind of goes the other direction of because it's it's Fincher you expect more. Um, and I think that maybe like it, on one level, I will admit that there's a part of me that is just so happy to have him back making a feature film after like six years that like I, I'm probably just like a little bit um, just like looking so forward to that. Um, but I also just like, yeah, I think that for me, just watching the mechanics of it play out and watching kind of this um film that you know like we've kind of been saying it's it's a movie that it's difficult to say like who's this for like it's it's a it's a hollywood biopic it's but it's venture well <laughs> it's it's <laughs> for me yeah, um, <laughs> yeah um <laughs> like it's a hollywood biopic that is like very uh anti-hollywood it's you know a film that is going on netflix that cost I don't know how I don't know how much I don't know what the budget was, but I assume it's quite considerable um, that, you know, reported to be 20 to 30. Yeah. Well, that's lower than I would actually would have expected. Um, But like helps when you film in black and white. (laughs) It helps when half your movie takes place in a single room. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Sure. Um, But yeah, it's kind of, um, you know, it's it's going on Netflix and I just I like to imagine the average person kind of sitting at home scrolling through their Netflix saying, well, do I watch, you know, the Queen's Gambit or do I learn about Irving Thalberg? Like it's 
I I don't know who it's for, and that makes me like it more because again, like I'm just interested in the strangeness of it all. It's an it's from the beginning. I think it's just such an odd project. And even when this was announced, I remember this like when that news came out, and I was like, oh God, no, why, why is this happening? Um, <laughs> Because all I've wanted since for, I don't know, the last five years is the once rumored um, Strangers on a Train remake with him and Gillian Flynn mm. working on that. Um, but like Fincher also just has so many projects that never come to fruition. I've kind of grown used to it. Um, but yeah, definitely <laughs> when this was announced. Yes. I was oh about to God. say he was going to make World War Z too. And I'm, I, I would have yeah, seen he's, that. He's, he's up there with Guillermo del Toro and where you just like, oh, that sounds interesting. And it just never happens. You're like yeah. five of the projects down the line. They finally make something. You're like, really? This is the one you settled on? Okay. All right. Well, even this. So originally this was going to be his next movie after the game. Um, but oh. that just like never came about. Uh, course, and then uh, it would have been starring everybody's favorite actor, Kevin, Kevin Spacey. Spacey. Yeah. Would it really have? Yes. Yes. Hmm. Oh, boy. Well, Here. What if, I would have preferred. Uh, I. Can I say that I think that like early or late 90s Kevin Spacey might have been better in the role. No, I, 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 I well, think this that. this Christmas he's going to release a YouTube video called Let Me Be Mank. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, Snyder cut of Mank with Spacey. <laughs> they're going to do the opposite thing of all the money in the world where he's going to edit himself into Mank. <laughs> he's probably got enough money to do it. <laughs> all the Mank in the world. All the, it's ma- all the money in the bank. So it's going to be very easy. I just want to know if he's going to have a green screen behind him or not. <laughs> I I just this I just realized all the money in the world. If you replace all of the larger words in that with mank one at a time, they are all funny. <laughs> <laughs> all the mank in the world. Mank the money in the world. All the money in the bank. <sighs> anyway. So that's I, I, and I'm sorry. Yeah. So yeah. after after the game is when he was gonna do this. Yep. Yes. Seven. Yeah. Sorry. That's crazy. Which would have been which would have been very. I feel like that would have been a very um, different career trajectory if like you you replaced Fight Club in Fincher's filmography with Mank. Right. Because. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like, Fight Club kind of cements him as this guy with, like, an edge, you know, maybe, like, a little dangerous, like, pushing technology. Yeah, he's, he's the bad boy of Hollywood. Yeah, and then and if he you... loves pulp. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and like, if, if, he, if he did Mank instead, it would be like, oh, here's this guy who's moving on to, like, a classier stage, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Like, as a as an alcoholic writer, once upon a time, I just, like, even the, the depiction of, of alcoholism... <laughs> In this movie, like here's the, also writers are like inherently terrible to watch on anything like just or even yeah. be around. And I don't think this movie does a good job of like making that seem like a dy- dynamic or meaningful like occupation. Like it's it's just so weird how little there seems to be going into like the con- like like his construction of this of this story. Like he doesn't seem to struggle with it at all. He, all he no, has to he do doesn't. is finally get blitzed and then he pumps out 200 pages in 14 Isn't days. Isn't that all of our writing process? Oh, I mean, I, I blackout <laughs> drunk wrote uh, a 14 or no, 12 page paper 
on a some Persian poet. Um, wow. and I turned it in, I got an A and so like, I've been there, man. Like I've seen it, I've made it happen with my own eyes. Um, but it's, I don't know. It's just, it, 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 it never feels like he's really wrestling with the emotional fallout of the, the sense memories that he's having to draw up to write this, this thing, like the connections, Anna, that you had talked about, like the kind of rhymes between, the prime timeline in the forties and everything that's happening in the thirties just never really clicked for me. Hmm. And, um, I found it kind of distressing because like without a good, like one-to-one meet or even just like a more dynamic and interesting kind of aspect to it. And like, you know, I'm sure that if in reality he truly was laid up with a broken leg, like that kind of hampers you a bit, but also like maybe pick a better subject matter. I don't know. And so I, I just, I just like never found myself getting into this movie and I didn't even really feel like I understood what the hell was going on until they finally get into the Upton Sinclair thing. But why take that, this direction to tell that story? I mean, it like, feels but so that, backwards. Because Michael, according to this movie, that's like the entirety of his purpose. Like he seems to be writing Citizen Kane specifically to purge himself of the demons of that election. Mm-hmm. But like, and everything that led up to it and around it and, and where he helped where he hindered people and stuff like that. Right. But like, I, then, you know, it's just, it seems then kind tell of that story and make <laughs> citizen Kane a footnote. then like it's, it, it, it I, I, like that story's interesting. Like uh, they've made really good movies about propaganda. Uh, their finest from a few years ago was specifically about making World War II propaganda. It's a really interesting film about that. Like I, I think I think what's odd about this is for all of the frustration people have with you know timelines and whether this is history or not. And to be fair, plenty of people have put that aside. Um, but it's still like. It's a lot of fat in the story, and it's it ultimately like anything that they're wanting to do with that alcoholic quality is it's only escalated through flashbacks. So so much of the actual stakes for Mank, um. They just don't feel like they matter because they're always in the past. Money doesn't matter for these people. Like everything is a decision that is supposed to, you know, be completely influential and, you know, uh, be be another line on their uh, end of the year. Sorry, end of the year. what, 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 ledger is that what I'm the word I'm looking well, for? Yeah, that could I, be I mean, we we, for. we don't, but I mean, ultimately, we, I, I don't understand what you're saying about like none of these people worry about money. Like, we don't want art created because you're worried about money, right? Like, that's that's the antithesis of art. It should be made without the the influence of money or things like that, right? No, I don't uh, know. I, I would I would lightly disagree with you bill because i always love the stories of like the studio is out of money and it needs a hit and then like yeah they roll the goddamn dice and that's you know how you get i almost said heaven's gate but that's like the opposite of the story that i was just telling well that's how you get jaws sure yeah but i I think that's a chance on a a young kid 
But well, uh, Bill, what the, what doesn't make sense to me about that is though it seems to want to both be uh, underlining the cynicism and the, and the certain backstabbing nature of the industry, while also trying to give an urgency. You know when he decides to do you know a twenty four thousand dollar bet at a sure. at a GOP camp. Like those things are peppered throughout and you know we keep hearing oh he only has uh you know he was supposed to have three months now he has two months and none of those things especially with this flashback structure uh they never mount for me like beyond the fact that i already have to untangle the chronology of it um again all of those individual Things like these almost, you know, historical waypoints for Mank, um, they never see like seem like they're really affecting him. I, and I get that they want to simultaneously show that this uh, this man is, you know, he's a he's a fluke and a legend <laughs> at the same time. <laughs> but I just I, I think Fincher is usually really good at giving weight. To, uh, you know, I, I mean, this is the guy who makes airport, uh, makes so-called airport novels. Like, I, and I mean that not in a bad way at all. Like, Gone Girl is an incredibly fun novel uh, and en- enjoyable. And, like, he's the one who brings this incredible subtext in how he chooses his performers and um, how he stages things and you know, those many different interactions. And this movie's just like, everything's just crowded together. <laughs> and I kept it, expecting it, that something would, I, I don't know. Sorry. It, it does, it does, it does feel fairly straightforward, not necessarily in the timeline, but in like what it's doing. There's, there isn't a lot of surprises here. I don't think, um, in, in what he's giving us, right? Like, um, you know, people, people aren't acting in, in ways that, and maybe that has something to do with the fact that, you know, this is, maybe roughly based on history right so he's not playing fast and loose with things like that um but he also made zodiac as well which you know is is a very different genre and very different film altogether in in what it does and what it's trying to accomplish um now i don't zodiac doesn't read as sloppy to me and this movie does for reasons that i can't quite place my finger on because there's already so much going on so it but that's the thing about zodiac like i that's a movie you want to pour over in every minute whether you know whether there is uh you know hidden images and and hidden messages that's a film that is you know it's as much a a zodiac uh an an exhibition to the zodiac killer as a movie about it in in a way and that's what's that's what's so unusual uh, to me about this is it just feels uh, hollow in, in every way. You know, even something like the game, which it's hollowness is essentially what it's about. Like this movie, I don't know. Uh, uh, Brian, uh, do you uh, do you see where I'm coming from in, in, in at least some of the uh, some of the confusion about what's trying to be done? 
with Manx stakes. Yeah, I, I I agree. I, however, am interested in hearing what Anna has to say, given that Michael <laughs> yeah, and I please. have just spent a little while vivisecting the movie in a most unflattering <sighs> fashion. <laughs> you know, um, I just I wanted to go back a little bit to the thing about money, because I think that um, the point of, you know, these aren't people who really care about that. And like, you know, art created under or not under like the stress of finances, like if that had been part of this, I wouldn't have believed it. I wouldn't have believed that like Mank is writing this because he needs the money or like that really any of these people need money. And I think that that's deliberate. And I think that um, there are some overt ways in which the film like critiques that extreme depiction of wealth. Um, But I also think that there is a little bit of an emptiness here that exists both, you know, for characters who indulge in creating their own zoos because they can. Um, but also that sort of, you know, that there is like a kind of poison that seeps out of that, that touches everyone, whether or not they personally, you know, perhaps, um, purport better politics, let's say. And again, I think that goes back to like this film. This film is not like a like a love letter to Hollywood, you know. No, absolutely um, not. And I think, um, yeah, I agree with the point I think Bill made about um, how it it is straightforward in many ways, and the 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 flashbacks and all of that. I do think that it kind of um, it's it circularizes what would be a straightforward plot. Um, and yeah, I think it it, it works because I think it's also and I do think that what drives a lot of the flashbacks is like um, information, like historical information, the plot information more than emotional beats. Hmm. That makes sense. I no, it, it does. Wait, do you know it doesn't make sense to her? <laughs> Michael? I, I just... <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't know, I, but I, I think that's what's weird to me is I, I feel like Fincher does informational beats all the time, but he's usually so elaborate with his psychology, and I just don't, I don't have any sense of who Mink is, to be honest. I mean, he's do, he's drunk, do, and he <clears throat> apparently is sympathetic to the socialist cause. Uh, we learn like an hour and a half into this two hour and 11 minute movie, mm-hmm. and um, that becomes a, I mean, like he's sort of got a gambling thing. And, uh, you know, like, you know, he's he's a collection of minor cliches that uh, eventually wrote Citizen Kane. He gets into I mean, I, I don't even know how to do spoilers for this movie, uh, but we've been talking for like, I don't know, 47 yeah. minutes. So I'm going to say we're just going to gently segue into spoilers. He like mank, 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 yes. mank. The, the sound the mank alarm. It's time for spoilers for mank. Um, he like he. He like asks Orson Welles for credit and the guy flips a table, but then gives it to him. And uh, that's the big struggle that gets like a Chiron at the end of the movie. Yeah, like it's, it's weird. It's very odd like that. Like I have I have asked my parents to not come home for Christmas as long as they would like me to and had worse reactions than Orson Welles. <laughs> <laughs> dealing with mank asking for credit for writing this movie 
Um, so it's just, I don't like, it's, it just all feels very low stakes. Like I just, it's, you know, it doesn't, I'm not, and like, it just, I like, and, and like you said, Michael, like I don't watch a, a, a David Fincher film. Like I'm watching a Kenneth Lonergan film, you know, like I watch Manchester by the sea expecting to get ravaged, um, by sadness and, and the connections between people and, you know, the way that human beings reach out to one another as like steady but possibly jagged rocks in a turgid sea of uncertainty and i watch a david fincher film to be the well-dressed apple store version of the charlie day meme with the lines and the the pegboard <laughs> like that's i love, I love that it. like that's give me that sure i'm i'm well, totally fine with fincher <laughs> being an icy emotionless robot who just likes turning wikipedia entries into compelling cinema it's why zodiac is my favorite film of his um i consistently forget that robert gray smith has a wife and children um when i'm watching that movie and it doesn't really matter because it you you still get the psychology of his his like like the necessity that he feels in solving this this thing and in this movie i'm just like who is this manx son of a bitch and why like i can't tell if he's awful to his wife or if they're like perfect for each other Poor Sarah. Yeah, poor Sarah. Yeah. Like what but she got a Martin Eden situation. <laughs> and um and just I you know, I just I just like I'm supposed to feel bad because he is upset that the, the movies, you know, torpedoed Bill Nye socialist <laughs> mayoral campaign. Like Well, I I think it's a little more than that. I also think it's um, Shelley's death that has a big effect on him. Um, I I agree. I also, but that means that I should give a shit about Shelley. You don't? You weren't sad? I don't, I like, when did we see him before? Like, was he the guy at the beginning who was like assistant camera two operator? Well, now I don't remember. <laughs> See, that's the problem is I don't know who Shelly is and Mank is such a dismissive prick who only cares about who he can do his next vaguely clever turn of phrase to that when he's like, oh, Shelly, I'm just like, who the fuck is Shelly? <laughs> you never talked about Shelly before. You talk about schnutz. You talk <laughs> about you talk about Joe, who's your brother. And then you talk about William Randolph Hearst. And now suddenly there's this man in a newsboy cap and I'm supposed to care that he blows his brains out just because you can't remember his wife's name. (laughs) Anyway, so I I don't agree that Shelly's death was impactful. (laughs) Can we can we address the uh, elephant in the room? The man in the room. The man in the room. The man in the room. The GOP? What? (laughs) No. Uh. (laughs) Let's talk about Jack Venture a little bit. Do we know about Jack Venture? Does anybody? I I can. Nana, uh, I would ex- I, I would expect that you know about him. Yeah, I mean, I know he was um, David Venture's father. He wrote the script um, in the early nineties. I want to say um, passed away in two thousand three. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, I was going to bring this up because I I think there's a part of me that wonders like. Fincher, who, you know, I think kind of as his reputation precedes him as someone who loves to have control. um, I wonder if there was a degree to which, like, he didn't want to change this story the way that perhaps he would have if it hadn't been written by his father. And I'm very curious about that. Um, 
I also I was just thinking about this. Um, this kind of just a little bit off topic, but um, I think that something that stood out to me is you know at the end when Mank kind of says like this is the best thing I've ever written. Um, I think that as much as we kind of see him as someone very you know clever and he has these little quips and you know we understand that yeah he's a skilled writer when he says that there's a little bit where I think it's kind of taken him by surprise um and I think it's very interesting that the depiction of like Manx's process towards um you know let's let, let let's call it genius right like writing Citizen Kane um the process to that is a little bit more stumbling and uneven and kind of maybe just getting a little bit lucky and I think that when we think of Fincher we don't think of him as someone who stumbles into a lucky scenario he's someone who very much plots out every detail of the way so I I think Mm -hmm. it's interesting that you know he's he's making he's a filmmaker making a film about someone involved in his same in- industry who has kind of a complete opposite trajectory of creation. Um, and again, maybe that is something that makes, you know, the film done, you know, the film doesn't work for people because of that. Uh, I am going to go back to what I think is truly like my defense of this movie, which is that, you know, good or bad. I find Fincher interesting enough that um I'm going to take something away from this, good or bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I, I, I think, I think Jack's uh, kind of relationship and involvement in this film is definitely going to tinge how how do you even talk about this movie? Mm -hmm. Because I mean, he doesn't have any, at least from what I briefly saw, he doesn't have any credited screenplays. He apparently came up with the idea that ended up evolving into aviator, the the film. Um, But you know, it doesn't show like he has direct credit for that. Um, So, I mean, I just don't know what to make of that because so much of this film is even about someone taking credit for what they did. Right. And yeah, I can imagine that if, if you're David Fincher and you're making this after your father that passed away, you would defend it in a way that maybe isn't healthy, you know? Um, and maybe do exactly what it is. Um, there's, I'm noting here that there's like a rumor that basically the producer who's also just mainly a screenwriter, Eric Roth, um, had kind of some passes at it, but isn't isn't credited for it. Um, So, I mean, that's interesting. Not not necessarily because it's, you know, someone taking a crack at a script, which happens all the fucking time in Hollywood, but more of who who it's involved with right so it's the producer not just you know some random person um you know he's also uh had some background with fincher um i can't remember what he actually wrote he wrote benjamin button benjamin button so i mean you know among other very famous works so um yeah i i think 
I think it's interesting to kind of look at this film and wonder why it feels so out of step in so many ways of Fincher's kind of background and, and everything that he's made. I, I mean, it does have his little pet things or themes, but ultimately it feels very, very different and it feels so down, just kind of down, down the lane, just kind of straight and narrow. And, you know, I think it's almost the film is almost in love with the idea of it representing Citizen Kane with its own back and forth kind of time jumps that it kind of replicates it in its own telling. And I feel like it takes a expert writer to be able to pull that off and make it interesting. And I found myself at the end of this film, there's this long sequence where Gary Oldman's character is just completely hammered and just starts talking shit about William Randolph Randolph Hearst in front of him at his own dinner party. And I was just like, what the fuck is the sequence and what is the scene? And I started to lose track of where this was happening in his life because it seems like he was basically just spilling out the idea of Citizen Kane to William Randolph Hearst's face and then goes off and makes the movie. I really like that scene. Oh no, I hated that scene. I I absolutely hated that scene as well. So Michael Snydell, what are your thoughts on that scene? (laughs) I think that scene is characteristic of why this is different and why I don't like it. In the sense that I think it'll go back again to uh, what I like about him is he finds so many ways to be very upfront about his ideas without actually spilling them out. Like, you know, the social network... Uh, I, I was thinking about this uh, today, like, I feel like there are literally dozens of quotes in this movie that I could use to encapsulate the entire movie. And I was thinking, like, oh, is that only make that I could do that with? And I'm like, oh, no, that's kind of Fincher. <laughs> like, you know, whether it's, um, yeah, you know, like the social network, whether – I recognize those are different writers, but rather in the sense that – uh, Fincher is someone who, you know, as much as there's a, a lot burbling under the surface, like he, he doesn't, he doesn't really, um, he doesn't really hide his, hide what he's, you know, he's not afraid I don't know. to be I obvious. Just think that, does that, no, is that no, what you're trying to say? <laughs> I mean, he's not afraid of the obvious, but not only that, but I think he's very clever about the obvious in in past cases, Um, sometimes in too cute of a way for me. But that sequence of spilling out, you know, it's it's fascinating on its own and almost mimics the audience reaction as people just flee this banquet table. (laughs) And then he just throws Um, up. Yes, uh, you know, the fish and white wine. Uh, I, I at the love same that time. wine. I enjoyed that. <laughs> See, like... I, the white wine came up with the fish. 
see, some of that stuff is is good, but I might be able to enjoy it if there weren't 500 variations on that, uh, you know, nonstop patter. It, it just I got at a tired of his point. shtick when he was talking to Marion Davies while she was on top of the woodpile. Yes. He's like, oh, what's at stake here? That was a lucky break. You know, your flat bush was showing. And I'm just like, oh, my God, Mank, turn it off. Yes, that's that is the thing. He doesn't ever turn it off. So not only did I not know what drive what drives him, I just also found him very annoying to be around, which is just uh, it's just strange. Uh, it's and he doesn't seem is, like uh, this is an unfair uh, strike against him. But I saw someone being like, "Oh, so we got two Sorkin movies this year." <laughs> <laughs> I I. Oh, who would I prefer? Uh, uh, like another script like this or a Sorkin script? I honestly, I don't know. That's a great question. Can, can I point one thing? So I, I agree we don't really see him turn it off, but I, I think of the the moment where um, uh, Lily Collins gets the letter and mm. um, Mank kind of like makes the joke about like her husband fighting in the war and then uh, the information comes out that the letter is actually saying he's presumed lost at sea and Mank kind of you know says to himself like you always have to be the smartest person in the room or something like that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and so I do think there are little things where he doesn't necessarily turns it off but he almost bemoans himself for his inability to turn it off so I don't think that that's a quality the film isn't aware of and working with um, and kind of using to directly point out like yeah he's a jerk and he knows it and he probably kind of wishes he could sometimes not be yeah I mean like that's like that's true and there is that moment but honestly like I felt more like introspection and self-knowledge from Hank Moody and Californication than I ever did from Mank in this movie this is the second time we've mentioned Californication in like three Slowly weeks. Slowly <laughs> but surely turning this into a Californication podcast. That that should be the drinking game when you mention Californication. It used to be Drink. food metaphors. Now it's Californication. Well, I I, I would like to ask a general uh, a question here. Do you guys think it's as simple then as this film seeing Mank as a hero? I, I agree that it absolutely that he, you know, I think that's a great scene you're pointing out, Anna. But that's like that's a very isolated incident for me. I, I have a hard time giving credence to more of what the movie actually thinks of that interiority when that's the main scene I can think of. I, I mean, maybe you can make. Uh, you could maybe make an argument for given how weird that final sequence that we were just talking about at the banquet table is, but the banquet table. (laughs) Wow. Thank you. You are really good at this. (laughs) (laughs) No, but I I guess what I, what what I'd ask, I'll stop fucking talking. Um, Does this film seem Mank as a hero? Because I was unsure until that ending (laughs) and the, uh, you know, uh, the memorial to him, essentially. Um, I'm thinking about it. Um, yeah, I, I will say, I do think that the, the final moments, the sort of, you know, Oscar acceptance speech, um, quite literally, 
Um, sure. Yeah, it does kind of um, lionize him there. Um, and throughout, I, I don't know if I can say yes and I don't know if I can say no. Um, I think the film finds him, you know, I have to think about this. So I just, I just, I don't understand, like, when the movie ends, the, 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 the ending title or whatever, the Chirons, the, the title card. Is that how you say that? I didn't want to say it. Chirons? (laughs) Yeah. It's a Chiron. I don't know how else you'd say Uh, it. Chiron? uh, Anyway, no, it's, it's a Chiron. Just just call it a mink. Yeah. So the manks (laughs) that come up when the movie is mank, um, they, so they say like, he never like fought for credit for a movie again. And it's like, well, he didn't really even seem to fight for it this time. So like, is that the story that I was just being told about a man who like had given up, but now really wants credit because he thinks he's written something amazing. But like, you didn't really spend a lot of time explaining that that was the journey he was going on. Um, And then it also said he died at 55, which he looked 55 in 1930. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. They don't, they don't age him up or down very well in this film i guess black and and white is not kind and they get rid of all the text so he was 55 is literally the last image we see before we cut to credits right and i'm like like uh, as in like what a crime shame that this asshole didn't get to do more look it was the 40s or 50s (laughs) you know 55 was he lived a long life (laughs) well yeah especially for a writer with a drinking problem and he smoked a lot i mean well everyone everyone did that's why they all died young even if you didn't smoke you were getting secondhand cancer like yeah that's my favorite i was about to say the cancer is very much firsthand it's the smoke that's coming from someone cancer first lung cancer (laughs) Uh, get the mic out of here so that's kind of my issue is that like, the, you know, usually at the end of a movie, it's it the, the the title card will bring home whatever it's trying to say, you know. And in this movie, I'm like, I didn't realize that's what we were going for. And again, like the, the biggest emotional turning point for him is, is like being 55. Yeah, it's <laughs> and then <laughs> God damn it. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> You're just you too quick that. with the wit and you keep uh, un- unseating me or whatever. Um, I am very tired. So I'm thinking. Yes. You knocked me off my mank. So <laughs> what what I was going to say is like the big emotional turn for him is like he he's at this election night party and he's shocked that the socialist loses. And I just like I'm like, I can't give a shit that that's your fucking journey man like of course he did you weren't around talking about redistributing wealth like yeah in california a company town like that of course like what is your deal why did you make that bet like you're gonna lose your testicles (laughs) yeah like what's happening (laughs) like like this is it and also again like it's not like he's been spending the whole movie like the writers in fucking hail caesar you know talking about the dialectic and the end of history like he's just and it's not even like that's the thing where he suddenly finds that should be like the end of the first act if that's when he's gonna find his moral compass 
But instead, there's like 30 minutes left, if even that much. And I just like, I just felt, I just felt like the movie was still searching for its own purpose, like so close to the end. And then the the ending title's like, maybe this was it. Yeah, no, I, I, I see the point about the sort of like moralizing of it. But I think that I would say I, I believe the movie's operating more on not, moral justification but just how much spite and pettiness can various characters have towards one another and some of those acts of spite are like more justified than others um but i i don't know how much the movie cares about putting mank on a moral high ground everyone is pretty low ground in my opinion. <laughs> sure. I th- then Anna, I'm, I am curious, what do you make? Oh God, I said make again. What, what do you make of? I just assume that every time someone has said make in this podcast, they probably said mank on accident. <laughs> I, I just, I just don't necessarily understand why uh, Sinclair even becomes a visual part of this. Like, I, I think you're totally right that like, I think there is going back to what I was saying, like, I think there's such a gamesmanship going on between all of these men. And maybe I am looking at it the wrong way, asking something about the urgency and stakes because these men only care about their rivalries and their, uh, you know, uh, you know, of, of them winning at any given moment, whatever (laughs) that means. But I guess I guess my problem with that is that you can make that a piece of dialogue. You can make that um, you can do that in a lot of different ways without deploying it as if it's some crux of, of their being. Like it's like as as uh, Bill was suggesting a little bit earlier. Like he he seems like he's partly uh, writing Citizen Kane to a tone. For you know uh, the, the propaganda that he, that he was involved in, but like I, I, I I'm just confused why I I, I don't I, maybe the better question is what, what do you make of like the very material interest in socialism in this? Mm. Um, I mean I think there's a degree to which it's you know historical fact of. Um, you know, I, I, I don't, I'm not taking this as gospel, but I'm sure there was a degree sure. to which um, Hearst was, you know, campaigning against uh, Sinclair and like helping to finance certain propaganda. So I think that um, it is partially, you know, an aspect of what this actual story is. Um, and I think, you know, kind of showing that, Hearst is operating on a level of, you know, pettiness, rivalries, just wanting to win. And like, that's also where Mank kind of meets him, um, is in that, you know, acts of spite. That's my love language. (laughs) (laughs) Acts of spite. Yeah. So you see a lot of this as like head games. Yeah. And I also just think, getting this baseline of, you know, this is where the characters are operating. Um, and, you know, probably if you, I mean, I, before this film, I wasn't even aware that 
you know, Upton Sinclair ran for political office in California. Um, so I do think that there's probably a need to have this as more than just a line in passing reference, but actually showing this as a considerable point of the plot that this happened, why Hearst was so invested in it, why Mank was operating ideologically on the other side of the aisle while also still going to the party um, and kind of the presumably, you know, anyone in that scenario would have those sort of ideological conflicts. Um, Yeah. I mean, I I think it kind of, it, there's a degree to which it does explain, you know, why this story exists. Okay, thank you very much. Say, I was about uh, to say, Michael, is there a... No, I don't, I don't know. I, I wish this work more for me. <laughs> I mean, no, like... that's fair. I mean, I look, I, I get it. Like, I think, you know, this is... There aren't a lot of films where my response to it is like, I don't know who this is for. It's great. <laughs> um, <laughs> I had that response to High Flying Bird. But I liked High Flying Bird. I love High Flying Bird. <laughs> like High Flying Bird, I was like, I don't know who was like the people who are gonna like the the gamesmanship of like this this strike thing are probably not are basketball no fans. Way more. Yeah. And the basketball fans are gonna be furious that there's not any basketball in this movie. <laughs> so I guess it's just people who like Andre Holland, which is like still a good chunk of people. Hi, that's me. <laughs> and then Bill Duke shows up and you're just like, oh, some Duke sprinkles oh, on top of yeah. this? Yeah, I'm good. Cal <laughs> McLaughlin. Yeah, that, that whole cast. Yeah. Um, cast. I mean, I will say, I think <laughs> this doesn't have the sort of, you know, I, I mean, Zodiac, which I think is his best movie. Um, it doesn't have that sort of super firm, obsessive thing where like Zodiac, I want to watch because like, it's it's a three hour movie that I've seen countless times and I'm still kind of plotting it and I'm still watching it, trying to catch every detail. Um, Mank, I think, is going to be like, it's not a film that I'm going to rewatch the, the way that I watch the rest of David Fincher's movies over and over again, um, which is probably for me like the the most criticism I will have of any of his films is that like I won't want to watch them on a monthly basis. Um, but I think that it still works for me as a kind of slightly experimental take on something that is both out of his wheelhouse and yet, you know, that I can still sort of look to and see the little moments that I'm like, oh, that's a very Fincher thing. And that's. Are I'm... there any other Finchers that fall in that category for you? That you don't um, want to watch them every month? Um, well, Alien 3, I don't watch that much. Um, <laughs> that's, you know, I mean, that's, that's kind of the, the go-to answer. Because um, you're watching the director's cut, obviously. Well, I'm sorry, cut. Michael. <laughs> it's the assembly cut because Fincher refuses to say that it's a director's cut. Yes. <laughs> um, he, like, won't acknowledge that he even like worked on that movie (laughs) yeah he hates that movie more than anyone else ever could it's like it's like when you like break up with someone and then you find out that like they're just claiming not to know who you are like in a joking (laughs) way 
But he's doing it in earnest, like hoping that he can will that lack of like relationship into existence. Or non-existence, as it were. Um, yeah, I hope people just send it to him every once in a while. <laughs> just like every, he's got like one friend who anonymously sends him Alien 3 every year for Christmas. Every day on his birthday. <laughs> uh, I, I with, a, with a note that says, can you sign this? <laughs> So I know he has a daughter um, and I, I really kind of hope that like when she was a teenager, whenever they'd have a fight, she'd just put it on. <laughs> <laughs> like he'd come home and she'd be sitting there watching it. You can't go to Megan's birthday party and that's final. I'm going to watch Alien 3. <laughs> yeah. And he's just like, I don't think that's a real movie. <laughs> <laughs> or she just like references it in front of him. So does he get does, really, does Dad? Get a prison a planet? That was the best idea. <laughs> it, was, it was supposed to be a. Do you? Oh my God! I just realized this. Do you think him and Charles Dance like talked about Alien oh Three God. while making this movie? Oh, good maybe that maybe that was off limits. Like Charles maybe. Charles Dance walks up to him and is like, David, great to meet you again. And David's just like, I'm sorry, I don't know who you are. We worked together on that that abysmal extraterrestrial movie. I've never made a movie about aliens, Charlie. Please hit your mark. You want this job, Charlie? <laughs> Get out of my face. Well it, well also, um, Holt McCallany is in Alien 3 as well. So do you think the same thing happened on Mindhunter? Oh, my God. Oh, shit. That's right. I always forget that my favorite actor, who's not James Badge Dale, was uh, in Mindhunter and Alien 3. Yeah. Oh, McCallany. I love that guy. Um, yeah, no, yeah, I mean... Sorry, like, to go back oh. to the question. Um, I definitely rewatch Zodiac and Gone Girl the most probably followed by the girl with the dragon tattoo just because i watch that every christmas um that's fine that's fine (laughs) that's how that movie was pitched it was like yeah i know i know it it was the rated r yeah uh feel bad movie of christmas yeah it was the the nipple piercing movie of of christmas yeah that's that's Um, crazy that they let that happen where they're just like what if what if we pitch this movie as being really bad for the holiday season spirit? Yeah. And they didn't do that. Like it was the opposite. Wolf of Wall Street was like, come with your family and have a great time. Look how, look at Leo dance. <laughs> and we all did. Yeah. If you've, if you've listened to this podcast before, maybe you've heard me like run through the story of my mother and I sitting next to each other yes. as my entire <laughs> fucking family and my brother's friend watched Wolf of Wall Street. It was a great time. That's one of my. That is legitimately one of my favorite Hollywood or Hollywood holiday memories. <laughs> great one. Thank you, Marty. Uh, heartwarming. Oh, that's sweet. Um, this just reminds me. This just reminds me that I hope Fincher's daughter is like a Francesca, uh, a Francesca Scorsese, who always puts Marty's presents in Marvel wrapping paper. <laughs> And it's like on Instagram saying all of her favorite movies are Marvel movies. So do you think that she's like Rules. making her own Alien 3 wrapping paper? <laughs> she's got like the I toys. She's just blowing thousands of dollars buying toys from Alien 3 still in the box. And it's like a real just Nick Miller moment where it's just like I have $1,700 on this prank. Do you think that... 
somewhere out there, either in someone's home or on eBay, there is a David Fincher signed Alien 3 poster. Like maybe before, like I don't know, because he seemed like he hated every minute of that. Could he have been forced to sign one for some sort of promotion? I wonder. Maybe. Um, Well, I I don't know if y'all. I don't know if y'all are aware of this. There's a reason why uh, actors and actresses and directors and and just cast and crew don't uh, badmouth a film while while they're still in the grips of like promoting it. Not oh, right. only it's because, that like, shirt that was being worn by Paul Schrader. Uh, is that, is that what it is? He it's the, it's the non-disparagement clause. Yes. And he, yes. he and like a couple of the actors in one of his movies hated the movie and what had been done to it. And so they did an entire press tour with the non-disparagement clause printed oh. on their shirts. That's yes. amazing. Do you remember amazing. what movie that was for? Uh, uh it was his last it, one of his latest ones and it has like a hell of a cast and it was released and i can't remember it was called in the light or something like that uh paul paul schrader i don't know i'm i'm googling paul schrader non-disparagement clause oh seeing dying of the light yes yeah, dying of the light and it's got an incredible cast yeah it got edited real real badly um Okay, I I am looking on eBay, and unfortunately, I can only find a Danny Webb signed poster photos. I'm seeing some kick-ass Japanese Alien Three uh, posters, but none of them have Fincher's signature. Hmm. Uh, he has a signed twelve by eighteen Love, Death, and Robots poster <laughs> uh, signed by David Fincher and Tim Miller. Man, uh, I did not remember that that was a thing. People, I, I, have you watched that, Anna? Is that an obligation? I have, <laughs> I have not seen that. I would say, I don't know. Like, I, I, I'm weird. I've seen a bunch of Fincher's films, but I've really only watched them, like, once, except for Zodiac, which I will, like, power through at the drop of a hat. And, like, I would count myself as a fan of his. I just don't want to return a lot. Hmm. <laughs> and this is one of the few ones where I was just like outright, like at the end of it, I was like, oh, that was not very good. Like, <laughs> even when I saw Alien 3, the assembly cut, I was like, you know, clearly not a great movie, but I appreciate some of the things that Fincher did. And I think that it shows his skills as a director that like my memory of Alien as a child is that picture of a hairless Ripley closing her eyes as the alien kind of like is near her face. And I was like, oh, that's from this movie? Like, that's like an iconic alien image. How is it mm-hmm. that this is from the movie that apparently sucks? Um, and I just I just didn't feel much of I didn't I didn't honestly feel a lot of Fincher in this movie. It was it was kind of weird. And I think it's because it's sort of buried beneath this weird reverence for the films of Hollywood while also hating the mechanisms of Hollywood. And I think that for me personally, I just I, like this movie. <laughs> Fincher has made movies and therefore has probably worked with and spoken to writers. And it's very odd to me that this movie seems to have no conception of like what a writer does or how they do it. Like it elides over the process of writing. So like just casually that it, it almost is like insulting um, to the profession. And I, I mean, just, in, in what way? I don't know. Like, it's just like, again, like he's, he's like, he does like one scene where he's giving dictation, uh, 
He's he's got his little chicken scratch notebooks. And then he's like, uh, if you want me to write this, I've got to be able to drink. And Lily Collins is like, no goddamn way. And then uh, the German woman is like, he got my whole fucking family and my village out of Germany. And Lily Collins is like, all right, well, let's let him drink. And then he has like the, the full the full gamut done. And it's that just like it was cool. What? That crate with all the booze was cool. Yeah, the crate was pretty awesome. Um, <laughs> and I just, I don't know. I just, it just, I just wish that like, and this goes back to my feelings about the structure with the flashbacks. I wish they had been knitted together better to like give an idea of how even subconsciously he might get fully hung up on something and then remember something from his past and be able to like leapfrog over it. And I'm sure that would be neater in, in possibly a bad way, but at least it might be like, satisfying whereas i found the bulk of this film very unsatisfying and like i don't feel like they did a good job of really setting up that he was actually a good writer beforehand like or even particularly super successful but everyone knows his name well because it's mank and you don't forget a man a man named mank I wish that the trailer said everyone knows his name before it went into the mank montage. The <laughs> manktage. Good. Yes, thank you. <laughs> I don't I don't know. I'm I'm it, it was kind of it was kind of a bummer watching this movie for me. Again, I was I was very I was very like not upset, but just kind of let down. I didn't have super high hopes for it because generally movies about old Hollywood that just like kind of bore me and which is weird because i listened to you must remember this like a child at the foot of an elder reading from a tome of dusty old like tales of witches and warlocks and wizards like i i eat that shit up with a spoon when it's in a non-fiction format but the second it becomes fictionalized i feel like there is a mental block in the people who work in this industry and then have to make movies about it that it's that it's like terrible and it's the same thing with like the the writing like you know they just are like i don't know he what he got blackout drunk and then like 14 days later the thing was there that's how writers work right and <laughs> it's it's kind of weird that i in thinking of movies that made me understand the process that a writer goes through because like obviously like there's typing like you know that's a, a lame joke it's like well how fun can it be you're just showing someone typing but like State in Maine has Philip Seymour Hoffman struggling with the constant insane rewrites that are being given to him by his production company. Like, you know, uh, the movie is called The Old Mill. The final scene takes place at an old mill, um, but they're in a town that doesn't have an old mill. So, like, does it have to be an old mill? And, like, you know, now suddenly the star doesn't want to show her breasts on film. And so, like, what do we do about that? And then it shows him struggling with these, like, contradictory ideas and then having a bolt in the blue and coming to like a realization of what the story he's actually trying to tell is and how it actually is better. And instead in this movie, it's just like, I don't know, here's some whiskey and then hooray, the movie's done. (laughs) I'll say, I'll give you a point here. Um, You know, talking about like the writing process and like how interesting can it be to just show people typing, you know, between like, the social network and girl with the dragon tattoo if there's someone new who knows how to show someone just typing at a computer but it being interesting it's venture yeah 
And so, yeah, even if he did just want to physically show the writing and not in any way externalize the mental processes, he should still be able to do it. But for some that reason, that would actually it's... probably be a more pure Fincher take on it. Yeah, <laughs> like you know, just like you know, the the it would be like a wide angle macro shot of like the mountain of cigarette butts <laughs> next to the typewriter with Mank like blurry in the background. So that it looks as though the cigarette butts are taller than he is. You know, that kind of that Two kind hour of stuff. long take <laughs> <laughs> in that room with the sling. <laughs> and then and then I don't know. I I, I, I kind of and again, this may be like reality, but in which case, like, OK, but like when when Lily Collins is like, you know, oh, we can't let him drink. And then the German woman's like, oh, well, you know, he, I know that he's like a, a man and he's a good man and he should be able to drink. And it's like, oh, well, if he saved 100 people, then yes. Like, that's that's the classic, like, oh, sure. Like, that's like a real Aaron Sorkin thing now that I think about it. Like, oh, you think he's an asshole? Well, did you know that he once saved a bus full of nuns? So he can definitely <laughs> use he can definitely use vaguely racist language and hate women because he saved a bus full of nuns. <laughs> That makes sure an asshole. Well, did you know this? <gasps> Never mind. He's a great person. Yeah. We should make a two-hour movie about him. One hundred percent. We should make a movie that is, as we stated before we started rolling, longer than Citizen Kane itself. Yeah. I, I just want to say Hunter Harris just tweeted Nikki Mankaj. <laughs> it's the best make joke I've seen oh. in a couple hours. <laughs> I hate that oh, so much. God. I, I know. That's why I said it. <laughs> In the land of the mank, the one-eyed mank is mank. Oh my god! Oh, should we? Uh, should we? Maybe lastly, I know you quote said from Mank Nordy Report. <laughs> <laughs> it's a mank. What ass mank? Never mind. We're, we're done. No, Bill. No, you found the border. Do not go there. <laughs> should we should we say anything? Uh, Brian, I know you said that you really hated how this There's some mank in this house. There's some mank in this. Uh, sorry. <laughs> I don't even know what that's referring to. <laughs> what was I saying? You um, said something about me, which I love. Should we bring up? Should we talk about? <laughs> should we talk about the look of this this movie? I mean, I already said. I feel like we briefly mentioned it, but I'm just wondering if anybody had any further thoughts on it. Um, Yes, I find I find all of it very funny. Like Fincher, who just like isn't someone who fetishizes film, is like we're gonna shoot it digitally, but then put on grain, and we're gonna have the cigarette burns and like the the scope of it, and we're gonna you know the sound's gonna be mono. Like it's just it's it's funny to me because I genuinely don't believe he really cares. Like he's he's not someone who's invested in like recreating this perfectly. No, it's um, not like the Good German or something, which is a weird movie, but like at least commits to its aesthetic in like a meaningful and like from the ground up kind of way. Yeah, I think in a lot of ways, I thought I thought of this as being quite kind of the anti, like um, like a Tarantino esque approach to you know films of the past, where he's just like so fucking obsessed with film um and like we got to have the grain like we it's got to be shot on film we got to do you know we're not going to have everything like cgi recreated we're going to recreate the street itself and film on that um and just kind of that you know it's interesting how fincher for all his sort of obsessions that that recreation isn't something that he 
seems to feel especially invested in. I've always thought that that's like Fincher is one of the first people to really embrace digital. Mm-hmm. And I honestly, there was a part of my brain that was like, oh, yeah, because like it, you, you don't have to pay as much for like gigabytes as you do for feet yards of film, you know, so like mm-hmm. it in he he never struck me as like like a Tarantino or I don't know, like a Malik or a Nolan who are like, it's the texture, it's the feel, it's the this, it's the that he's he's much more of like, I, you will do this fucking scene 400 times. Until you blink the exact nanosecond I need you to blink. And then the actor's just like, well, which nanosecond is that? And he's like, I will know it when I see it. God damn it. It's you know, just a troll this in the low angle trolley Herzog. shot needs to be perfect. And I need that light to flicker <laughs> right when we're on this tile. It's like, well, we're not controlling the flickering of the light, David. And he's like, just do it. I'll be back in four hours. <laughs> this is his golden hour. <laughs> Yeah, so he he um you know he has he has a a like determined aesthetic that I think lends itself to like practically and perhaps even um what's the word what's the opposite is it pragmatically pragmatically to uh to digital. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's the, it's the refinement of it. It's the the like control i think um mm-hmm. something i think about is like with with um benjamin button which is you know very much that like survey of the uh, century basically you know he's not really caring about like well this is set in the 30s so we're going to make it look like the 30s or this is set in the 60s so we're going to make it you know the film itself look that way but you know i'm sure making Benjamin Button and I, I kind of like vaguely recall stuff from the director commentary of him talking about like recreating a street where it's just like, well, the street needs to look right. You know, he doesn't really care if the film itself is, is the like, you know, the actual film film, the grain or the texture, like shooting on digital. I don't think that makes a difference. I think it's the, the like, does it look right in the image? Um, right. Which I think is just, <clears throat> I don't know. It's an interesting distinction because I think that often that level of, you know, concern with minute details of does this look and feel the way I want it to? I think that can kind of go hand in hand with both the, the you know, the image that you're creating and the um, real passion for, you know, it being film and it being, um, I guess, kind of working with all those connotations of like being kind of authentic and, you know, part of that like rich tradition. And I don't know, I find it very interesting that I don't think he really cares about tradition. Oh no, he, he clearly doesn't. And it's not even, it's funny that you bring up the Benjamin Button thing. Cause I remember screaming frantically to my friends about how interesting public enemies looked and none of them understood what I was talking about. And I was like, you don't understand. Like you can see, the the noise of the digital film but it's a film that's taking place in like the 30s (laughs) like could you not understand that do you not understand how weird that is to have a digital artifact overlaid (laughs) on this movie that takes place in a pre-digital era and they were all like no um (laughs) and i i loved that movie and i i loved the way that that michael mann almost opposite of fincher like seemed to like um digital because it allowed him to work more imperfectly like he didn't have to worry about lighting setups you know he was like oh this is great we can use like 
natural light in LA or in Miami at like two o'clock in the morning because this digital film allows me to do that. And everyone's like, dude, it's noisy as shit. It looks like it's a sand art. And he's like, I don't give a damn. That's what I want. Um, and, uh, so it's weird that those two people who very much helped to push forward digital, you know, video shooting, um, took such divergent paths. Mm-hmm. Hey, Brian, have you ever seen David Lynch's The Return? It's a great <laughs> movie that also... <laughs> you know what annoys the shit out of me is I thought you were going to bring up Inland Empire because that is another I, movie I, I where know. he was like, here's a consumer-grade video camera. <laughs> no, sir. Uh, but I I had to do. I'm sorry. Uh, we're not, I'm not letting you do this to us again. I, if, if any, Literally, <laughs> after I say the word, if anyone else says the word, I'm going to be furious. If I hear one goddamn thing about the bracket on this podcast... <laughs> I will fly to, to wherever each of you live to hand you a very strongly worded letter. <laughs> Priyana got it? kicked off Twitter. I, I imagine it's because she talked about the bracket too long <laughs> in our episode. So um, I'm sorry. No Anna, talk. did you make another mank pun? Yeah, the mank it. <laughs> um, I yeah, will take us away can't. from... I will take us away from the bracket. Um, Oh my God. Just like on the topic of having to explain to friends who are normal, why we care about like the look and feel of films like public enemies. um, I'm curious about like this movie going to Netflix. And I don't know. I guess my question is like, how do you think like the sort of average Netflix watcher is going to respond to this? I, so, so I'm, I, you know, I was talking to a bunch of people. Um, about my plans for the weekends, and uh, everyone, you know, is like, "What?" what uh, anyone who knows me who knows that I do podcasts is like, "What movie are you watching?" Um, and I'll say something like, "You know, the happiest season or happiest season," and they'll usually say, "Oh, <clears throat> what's that about?" Um, or I'll say, "You know, like Avengers Endgame," and they're like, "Oh, I can't wait to see it." This is the first time where a movie I said the name, and it was greeted with what I would generously call confused anger (laughs) i would say like i gotta watch mank and they're just like what the fuck did you just say to me like like it wasn't like oh i haven't heard of that it's what the fuck is that and why do i know about it now and it was just a very strange reaction and then i finally like i finally was talking to my partner arthur at the distillery today and I was like, hey, you know, at some point I got to just like sit in a corner and watch this movie for two hours and 11 minutes. And he was like, that's fine. Like, you know, we've done all the stuff. We're, we're kind of just manning the, the the place today in case anyone comes in to buy anything. What do you have to watch? And I said, Mank. And he just stared at me as though he was waiting for me to finish. <laughs> or like if I had like choked on my words. And I was like, Mank. And he's like, what? And I said, Mank. And he said, what is Mank? <laughs> and I said, it's on Netflix. He's like, it's Mank? And I said, it's the new film by David Fincher. He's like, oh, the one with Gary Oldman. And I was like, yes, wait, you know what I'm talking about? He's like, I don't think I realized it was called Mank. Oh, boy. So so that's like at least what it's what it's like tracking is, you know, like what it's, a situ- its awareness is. I don't mm-hmm. know. I don't like if if I like, you know, it's going to be a weird Christmas because if even if I do end up going to Houston, um, I'm not getting a lot of physical award screeners. So we're going to have to forgo my favorite 
part of the new year, mm-hmm. which is when I get to explain my parents' reaction to the award screeners <laughs> that I show them, um, where my mother once casually said that Yorgos Lanthimos should be put to death for making the favorite. Um, but I don't usually apologize upon showing them a movie. And I feel like after I showed them this movie, I would have to apologize. Cause like at least the, like if you want a director to be put to death, you know, at least the movie wasn't boring, you know, at least it enraged you. But I feel like after this movie, they'd just say that was it. And I would have to go, I'm sorry. That was not a good one. <laughs> But the good news is that David Fincher would get to live, so. You should show him Promising Young Woman. That that, that will be a, a good conversation. Start. I only got a digital screener for that, and I'm not figuring out how to attach my laptop to my parents' computer, or my parents' computer, Fine. my parents' television. Fine. Yeah, usually I just do that with an HDMI cord. That's, that's, that's usually the, the, the simple thing, but man, do computers make that really fucking difficult at times. Yeah. So. Um, what is hilarious is that the only physical, uh, again, I'm sorry, everyone listening for, you know, inside baseball screener talk, but it's still so (laughs) annoying to me that the only physical screeners that I've gotten have been from Netflix Netflix. movies (laughs) and none of them were made. You, you, you also got the, uh, the, what is it? What's uh neon neons? Oh, I did uh, finally get the neon pack. So that's nice. It's a DVD though. Because we're in 2020. Well, they're all fucking DVDs, man. Like that's because they don't know who's got a PlayStation Four or not. Um, it was it was it was so annoying though, because like, and again, I apologize to everyone, but I'm going to keep talking anyway because this is my podcast. <laughs> I just kept getting these Netflix packages, and none of them were Mank. <laughs> and Mank drops on Friday, and guess what? I work. I have a job. I have a daughter. I'm tired. I go to bed. I wake up. I have to go to the distillery. A friend I haven't seen in forever comes over. And by the end of the night, it's just like, well, I'm not watching Mank now. And then I wake up today and I'm like, I still got to watch fucking Mank. I wish I had a DVD. It doesn't matter. I watched the story. Yep. Um, I did not stop. I actually was able to watch it uninterrupted. So before any people jump down my throat about that, I will just remind you that this is our new reality. And this is how the movie is presented. And I chose to watch it that way. He, he's, here, here's something fun. Um, at about 4.30, I realized I needed to watch this movie. So uh, while I was <laughs> on the computer, I opened up a Netflix browser and I was like, oh, shit. Let me click on the Netflix browser and just watch it in here because Erica was watching something in uh, the living room. And uh, it popped up and it gave me a notice that uh, two people were already watching something on Netflix. (laughs) And so if I wanted to expand our subscription to four screens and I was like, fuck you, fuck this movie. I got to figure out. And I almost downloaded it. I was like, just kick someone off. And that's what I did. That's I, I I kicked Erica off. But I was like I was like, hmm. Well you I put your you put download- your engagement in jeopardy to watch Mank. <laughs> she's she's rewatching the vampire diaries. She's fine. Okay. Uh, Anna, how did say- you watch Mank? <laughs> oh, I I watched it on the TV. <laughs> <laughs> um I interrupted. <laughs> yeah, I just like you know, sat down on the couch and watched Mank. So you know what's actually weird? Um I have found that when I watch a movie on my laptop at the distillery, <clears throat> I sometimes pay greater attention to it or feel more immersed in it, and I don't know why. 
Uh, might be because I'm using my noise canceling like surround sound headphones instead of just like my TV speakers. Oh, Richie Rich. <laughs> yes, I got Sony XM something whatever's. I don't I don't remember, but they're very nice. And uh, if they would sponsor us, that would be amazing. WF one thousand XM three. Yes. <laughs> it's a very catchy name. <laughs> The product, I wonder, um, product names for things are, are absolutely fucking absurd. <laughs> I, uh, Anna, I was going to say, say I, yeah, I wonder if it's because like you kind of, you know that you can't just like pause it and go off and do something else the way you can at home when you're just casually watching something. Like if I put a movie on and it's like a Saturday afternoon and I know like I can, you know, pause this and go take the dog out and go cook something and like do other things and then come back to it. I'm like, okay, but if you're watching something kind of with time constraints or within a deadline where you're like, Oh, I have to do a podcast on this in two hours, better hit play. Like you kind of have to focus on it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, I was thinking about that today because I often do when I watch a movie at the distillery, (laughs) when I'm just like, I miss going to the movies because you really do like being trapped in that room with the movie and even just going through the ritual of like arriving and walking in. It feels it's the difference between like getting food at a restaurant and ordering DoorDash, you know, like. Sure. It's just like a DoorDash. Like when I'm at the restaurant, I'm like, I'm going to use my fork and my knife and I'm going to like cut the little pieces. I'm going to make sure the sauce is all there and I'm going to take a bite and I'm going to savor it and I'm going to get like a wine that pairs really well. And meanwhile, I get something from DoorDash and I'm just like, whatever, this just spent a fucking half hour in the back of a stranger's car. I'm just going to eat it on the floor with the dog with my hands and nothing matters. (laughs) Okay. That could be the uh, tagline. Mank. It's like eating something on the floor with the dog. (laughs) Look, like my dog is amazing. So like that's, it's not as bad as it sounds. It's a compliment. Lana's awesome. Does Lana pass judgment on Mank? Perhaps. Anyway, um, I'll show my daughter Mank tomorrow and we can all get a four-year-old's take on Mank. <laughs> She'll just I say Mank. She thinks it's socialism. <laughs> oh, boy. She doesn't socialism like seven. Network. <laughs> she doesn't like seven? No. She said it was, uh, <laughs> there was too much rain. Um, but she did like the puddles, but they weren't muddy enough. So today, this is a a heartwarming (laughs) little story that I'm sure people will be annoyed because it has very little to do with what we're talking about. She was watching. My my fiance is making my dog wave at me. (laughs) That's cute. (laughs) So I don't think my daughter is ready for seven or like saw or anything like that. Because today, I mean, first of all, she's four years old. But also today she was watching YouTube videos of a hamster um, running like a cardboard maze that someone had made. And first of all, this maze was incredible. It was like a full-on obstacle course. And at the end, the, the the hamster gets to the place where it's like supposed to be. And a box like very gently drops onto the hamster. And my daughter burst into tears. Like, like kills? kills no, no. It was an, so it was an empty upside down box, but it like it trapped the hamster. And, and uh-huh. my daughter burst into tears and said, oh, my God, oh, my God, what's happening? And then, like, the box comes up and the hamster's fine. And it's actually got one of those, like, pies that you make with toothpicks that are, like, hamster size. 
But I had to be like, no, look, Cor, it's okay. He got a, the box was a good box. He got a pie. Look at it. And she's like, are you sure? And I'm like, yeah, look at this hamster. He's eating the pie. He's super happy. Okay. So, so that YouTube video needs to have a link uh, on it about where the dog dies or if the dog <laughs> dies, right? Or does the dog die? Yeah. I'm, does I'm the fucking dog this die. Up. That's all right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It needs the, it should have had a, <clears throat> a warning. It should have. Uh, at the end, it did go through how the the thing was entirely safe. It just looked scary. But anyway, so yes, that's why my daughter's not watching R-rated horror movies with lots of gore because I don't think she can handle it. Mm-hmm. You should definitely show her Alien Three. That would be a good even place. even Land Before Time is a little intense for her, but it was a little I mean, intense that, for that, me at that age too. Yeah. Yeah, I remember it's it's Social Network. Closer. There's no gore in that. That's true, <laughs> That's true. But she, she's, you know, she's, uh, you know, she's four years old. She's obsessed with fairness, and I'm just concerned mm. that I won't be able to get her to go to sleep because she'll be like, "I don't understand, Daddy." Eduardo earned his share of that company. <laughs> I'll be like, "I know, Cora, but Mark Zuckerberg is a soulless piece of shit." And uh, Facebook is a monopoly that's turning your 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 grandparents into monsters. <laughs> so she also thinks it should be called the Facebook, huh? Yes, she does. <laughs> it's cleaner. Totally. Let's get the mank out of here. I, oh, look at that. Good, good one, Bill. Um, do we have any final like, or not even final, but just are there other thoughts on mank that we need to? Mank, 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 mank. It does strike me as weird that like this movie like dips its toe into the concept of like socialism and then like does nothing with it and just kind of uses it to kill a guy that we only really met one other scene. Mm-hmm. We know. just know that he voted for Bernie now. Oh boy, he's a Bernie bro. I'll take it. <laughs> I will too. <laughs> if that's what I get from this movie, that Fincher's a Bernie bro. All right. Oh, uh, he's a fan of the I squad. Talk, I was I was talking about the guy that kills himself, but oh, okay. oh you th- <laughs> yeah. All right. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I took it. I took Either it the way. way. I took it very literally. Sorry. Okay. Also, it's just like, I don't understand Fincher's casting choices, you know, sometimes like Bill Nye, like, I don't know. Bill the fucking Nye. Guy. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. The Bill science Nye, guy. The socialist Michael. guy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we also like barely see him as Upton Sinclair. Yeah, yeah, he's like, like giving a speech on a on a store corner. That's not what I meant to say. Street corner, like once. Store corner. It was funny court. though when they say like half the people like confuse him with um, Sinclair Lewis, and I, I was like, oh shit! And then I realized that I was actually mixing him up with John Updike, and um, <laughs> I just like none of those guys can get a break from me apparently. It happens. Right. All right. Anna, as a, as the person who's most positive, is there a final thought that you'd like to take us out on? Um, this has been fun. Manks for the memories. God, hey. son of a mank. <laughs> I am furious with you right now, but I respect um, the mank in, out of you. In in complete earnest, punless honesty, um, I have appreciated this discussion because I I definitely like. It's a film that I am more positive on than I think the general consensus here, but that I'm not completely, you know, I don't think it's without flaws. So I, I do appreciate, you know, a, a fair articulation of those issues. Excellent. Yes. So you make it, but you don't make it. <laughs> yes. Oh. <laughs> 
What is that? I was going to do you're in mank with it, but not manking. I don't I don't know what I was doing. I mank you. I just don't I'm just not in mank with you. Mank with you. <laughs> I I really it's wish not that you, I It's mank. <laughs> I mank you. I just don't mank mank you. Yes. There we go. Just all the way back to middle school for that one. Um so that's fun. Uh, we can finally stop talking about and uh, the movie Mank and saying the word Mank. Though my my fear is that it's just in in the air now and it will never go away. Speak for yourself. I'm I'm going to say Mank for the rest of my life. Yeah, you would, Mank bastard. Anyway. That's it for today. Uh, let me remind you that we are brought to you by Mubi. You can get a free 30-day subscription to Mubi by going to mubi.com slash filmstage. Again, that is mubi.com slash filmstage. You can also support us by going to patreon.com slash show and giving us your money. And uh, that's it. Michael Snydell, what are we talking about next week? Uh, the Sound of Metal, I believe, which is Darius Martyr, I believe. And yeah, no, I'll just say it. Roxana no, Dottie asked for this movie months ago when we thought it was coming out. So it will be <laughs> Roxana, uh, pending any life changing, you know, that's, I shouldn't say that Let's right now. Let's not put that into uh, the atmosphere. Pending any changing circumstances. Cool. So that's the Sound of Metal with Riz Ahmed. Cannot wait. Yeah. I have been looking forward to that for a while now. Yeah, I'm excited. It's one of those movies that got lost in like the COVID shuffle where I was like, did it come out? And it just was like only in one theater. Mm-hmm. And then like the world it's ended. It's also Amazon Prime, so it could very likely have been out for six months and we would never actually know. Correct. <laughs> yes, that is exactly Unless what I was happens. given a screener for it. Yeah, it's Amazon, Amazon doesn't even bother Prime. sending screeners. Um that's uh, so that's great that's what we're talking about next week uh let's tell the fine people at home where it can be found between now and then uh anna swanson would you like to kick us off by telling people where to find you on the internet uh yes at twitter um anna swanson all right mm-hmm. bill graham oh you were gonna say michael snydell i was but i decided not to what are you gonna do okay. about it uh i'm are gonna you tell you enough where you can to find- stop me <laughs> Uh, you can find me on Twitter at CableBFG, uh, and you can find me on, uh, what is it, Instagram at Billstagram, and uh, where I post uh, cute puppy photos and things like that. So, yeah. Cool. Mike Snydell. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Snydell, Letterbox, uh, at my name. Um, I, by the next episode, I will have written about Kiyoshi Kurosawa's To the Ends of the Earth and, uh, Gunda, which, uh, I, I'm hoping is just a beautifully photographed black and white remake of Babe. Uh, so wow, you are the 17th person I have heard make that joke. No, damn it. <laughs> it's, it's a movie about a pig. I mean, what the hell do you expect? It looks really pretty. I'm very excited to watch it. No, I mean, there's Okja or Okja? Okja. Yeah, people made big Animal jokes Farm. about Okja too. Okay. okay I, I was going to say, there, there's, there's, other, <laughs> there's other films with pigs in there, the center okay, of it. Yeah, but like, there's other films with, with I don't know, I can't even think of a good analogy. I'm so exhausted. Babe is the quintessential pig movie. such a mank, Bill. <laughs> sure. <laughs> anyway. Uh, I'll, I'll make my way out. 
Perfect. Um, as for me, you can find me on all the social media sites at Brian J. Rowan. Um, I can also be found on my personal site, BrianJRowan.com, and all the writing and stuff that I do at thefilmstage.com, where you can also find more episodes of this podcast. Um, so that is it. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us, and tune in next week. Oh,